I'm Mike Lunsford, and this is Mike Explores, a podcast venture where I try to answer questions about the world around us. We all want to belong. Human beings are social by nature, and we need the attention of others. Every facet of our culture is about interaction, friendship, intimate relationships. These are all things that are not only vital to our growth, they're used as status symbols. How many times have you either heard of or been part of conversations centered around sexual conquests? If you have a significant other or have slept with a lot of people, you quote unquote win. That's how our society grades you for better or for worse. But what if it's not easy for you to find meaningful relationships with others? Perhaps there are physical reasons why this happens. Perhaps mental illness, either diagnosed or undiagnosed. Uh, Maybe that's causing further issues for you. Perhaps there isn't the right support structure in place, and instead of self-reflection, blame is placed on others for these problems with relationships and intimacy. There are a multitude of possible causes, and it all boils down to this. A solitary lifestyle without friends, without significant others, can be lonely and soul-crushing. No one wants to feel that way, and we as humans will sometimes go to strange lengths in hopes of finding others who understand us. We all want a crew. And I think that every single one of us has surrounded ourselves with others before and found out later that they just weren't the right crew for us. And that's how we find ourselves with this episode of Mike Explores, as my co-host and I, Jess, interview investigative journalist Nama Cates, who hosts a podcast known as The Incel Project. I want to first, uh, Nama, thank you so much for joining us. Like, this is... I did when you reach out to another podcaster or another like member of like the media and like especially somebody like you who's done so many different things you never expect to actually hear back from them you just figure they're like ah they're a big deal you're never going to hear back but you know hey well at least we'll shoot our shot but thank you I mean like you got back to us immediately thank you so much for that that was awesome thank you and uh you know I don't I don't consider myself um you know uh, anything more than kind of like an upstart podcast now either so <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't really feel like that um but yeah i i was um happy to happy to do it i love the description of um you know what your approach is and what you're looking to do it sounded great so well thank you we appreciate that and and i really want to thank too while i, I mean because she's here too she's my my partner in crime for this uh podcast i want to thank uh jess because Jess, is, Jess has been a fan of yours since like the jump. And like, I remember her telling me about this last year. She's like, Mike, holy shit. By the way, you can curse on this podcast, so it's not censored. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, she was like, Mike, you gotta listen to this podcast. It's so fucking cool. Like, I'm like obsessed with it. I think it's the coolest thing. And like, it, there's so much going on here. So Jess, like shout out to you for, for making this happen. Thanks, yeah. And uh, like he said, I've been a fan forever. I've actually been seeing, uh to become a licensed clinical social worker and my okay. field of interest was actually sex therapy. Okay. So in my in my view, I think that incels are something that sex therapists should ab- absolutely have knowledge about and yeah. like be able to take on clients that are in cells without having this stigma that's attached to them. And so that's why I was like, I really, I just want to know more about this because I've only seen the surface level. And that's when I like, I was reading books and I was like going on the online forums. And then I I was like, I need to find a podcast. And that's when I found yours. And I was like, this is exactly what, like, almost like I wanted to do for myself, but you do it so 
perfectly in my eyes that I was like, this is just great. I'm just going to listen to this instead and like do my research, but also like, I just loved it. It was great. Um, I was telling everyone. (laughs) Thank you. Um, well, yeah, I agree. I think that, um, you know, therapists, sex therapists, and just therapists in general need to know more about this because even with this, attention that's been on it kind of lately very few of them do and so a lot of them that have tried therapy and there's kind of a you know they generally kind of a negative idea about therapy from within the community for a lot of reasons that you know you might be familiar with if you listen to the show um but you know some of them that have have tried to go to therapy have had bad experiences and i think part of that is just because therapists don't really understand this so one of the things that I wanted to do, Nama, is this is a, a new venture for us here at uh, the Great Geek Refuge, where we're going to explore some things that maybe none of us have ever really thought, hey, this is something that I want to know about. But there's value in this. And the reason why is because, kind of as I mentioned off air when we, we were discussing before we uh, we got started, is the, the only way that our country, I mean, at a... At a smaller level and then the world on a bigger level is going to get to be a better place is for us to try to make it a better place. Like, um, like Gandhi said, be the change you wish to see in the world. Mm-hmm. Compassion is really the only way that's going to, that's going to happen. Like divisiveness is not going to work. We saw that with the guy who's going to be leaving office in January. Thank yeah. God. But like <laughs> to bring people together is an important thing. It, did, did that, does that mindset have anything to do? Because honestly, the biggest question I have for you about this is why? Why was this the topic that you wanted to delve into? Because we're not talking about like, hey, this is not my case. Here's one episode and it's 45 minutes long and that's it. No, this is like, you've gone multiple seasons now. I mean, I think you're into like episode like 50 or so. 40, yeah. Yeah. Not not counting some of the, you know, the bonus ones. So probably about 50. Yeah, this is not a cursory glance at at a subject. This is a deep sea dive. Why was this topic so important to you? I, you know, I do get asked that a lot and I have, um, kind of some answers that I provide that have just become sound bites at this point. Um, there are a lot of reasons that I feel like it resonated with me and that I feel like it resonates with a lot of people, even to the point of causing a visceral reaction where they refuse to hear anything about it. Um, but you know, I'm not exactly sure how, why exactly, you know, I think that might be something I figure out years down the road. Um, I just think that the topic is endlessly fascinating. Um, there are a lot of things about it kind of on a surface level that are fascinating to me. The idea of radicalization and sort of extreme fringe groups has always been really interesting. The fact that this one is about sex and human sexuality is really interesting. That the stigma against the group was interesting and the lack of information about it. Um, and then when you start to, when I started to actually read their forms and everything, finding kind of the intelligence and the strange humor and the, the neologisms, all the words they come up with and everything, it just, I found it really interesting. And, um, you know, you talk about divisiveness, you, you did just now. Um, so, you know, getting into this topic and doing this show, because there have been some, you know, mass killings and things associated with the group, um, it's kind of led me into the field of 
you know, terrorism and counterterrorism studies and extremism. Um, and so the topic of divisiveness as it exists right now in this country between, you know, right and left and things like that, it's pretty extreme. So, you know, that's a very big topic and everything just, it just hits, it struck all the right chords. I come from a, like a media background. I lived in LA for a while, you know, I acted and, and was a singer and things like that. And incels talk about lookism, you know, um, and they talk a lot about Hollywood and media portrayals. So coming from that world, finding it a little bit um, superficial and frustrating and uh, soulless, uh, I guess, made me maybe relate a little bit more to what they were saying. There was a, a kernel of truth to some of the messages that they, they were they were saying. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's, there's a lot of truth to a lot of them. It's like very little of it is absolutely false. It's just that, you know, they're, they'll take these studies and, you know, you're seeing one picture, but you're kind of missing the whole, missing the forest for the trees. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I, and, and I, oh, I'm sorry, Jess, go ahead. No, it's okay. I just I, really quick. I, I actually, cause I have a couple questions written down here and one of them actually goes, um, kind of right along with what you were saying about lookism and LA. So, um, Mike, do you mind if I ask just that question now? Cause I know we're going to get into, um, like the, a couple the floor, other things. The floor is yours. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Um, so from, from the things that I have gathered in this, um, I, and this is obviously a much, much more surface level thing than, than what you've researched. So, um, if I do say anything that would be incorrect, you can definitely just correct me on this. But from what I, from what I've been able to see, um, mostly online and on the online communities is that being white, tall, blonde, outgoing sort of is, is the ideal person for an incel to be. Um, and along with wanting attractive women, like you said, like the lookism is a big part of it. Um, but it seems like Western beauty ideals and standards are like the ultimate goal for a lot of the community. And so my question to you was like, do you think that other cultures specifically, um, like Western Asian cultures and um, like cultures in India, do you think that them idolizing Western features sort of started this process, this like thought process long before the term incel actually came around? Um, I think that that's come to be a part of it. Mm -hmm. I don't think that it's necessarily the idealization of, you know, Western beauty that mm -hmm. started in seldom and I have a whole lot of theories about you know what began what you know led to the term and that you know there's a lot that went into that but um certainly I would say that some of the most there was um kind of a stereotype in the media at first about incels being part of the alt-right and being you know angry white men and right. they're actually not mostly white um it's actually about 50 50 um, and if you look at them, it's also not a uniquely American uh, phenomenon. It exists all over the world, but in Europe and North America, most for mostly, you know, um, right. part of that, I think is also, you know, it's, it is Western society. It's also just access to the internet and things like that and English being able to speak English, the language of the internet. Mm -hmm. um, 
but um but yeah the um there are a lot of uh incels you know in their forums they do these polls that are not white but that live in western countries where you know they're they're still like an ethnic minority mm -hmm. um and they do have this idea that um women prefer uh well certainly height you know they're, they're probably not wrong about that <laughs> um and uh and, and white men you know chads like the idea of, of a chad is like a you know, right the, the attractive white man but there's also uh what they call bbc theory which is that they you know right. like black men and then basically <laughs> we just feel that like yeah um, it only took us 10 minutes into the first episode of mike explorers to say bbc <laughs> well you've come to the right place for all those uh all those euphemisms. um and and they base this uh you know so the asian asian men basically feel like they're the lowest rung on the on the totem pole there um and they base this off of uh studies from tinder and other dating apps that show you know the amount of um matches and likes and stuff that uh men of certain races get so it's not based on nothing so a, a lot of people also think that incels are racist and that i don't believe that they are racist i think that they they find society racist and hypocritical women especially they think uh you know in terms of their their dating preferences or mating preferences um so you know, that's kind of uh, what I think about that. But uh, I do think that, you know, certain ide idealization of, like, say, Western beauty features plays plays into it. You actually like you opened up a can of worms here and I want to I want to delve yeah. into this, too. OK, because um, th there are a lot of terms, there's a lot of terminology on your podcast. And if you're not really into <laughs> yeah. this, a lot of it goes over your head. Like I was doing a lot of Google searches, like when I was listening to your podcast, because <laughs> they're throwing terms out. And I'm like, I think I know what a chat is, but yeah, okay, okay, no, I was right on that one. Okay, cool. And like yeah. finding other things like that. Like one of the things that like, I, I've always, blue pill, red pill, yeah, okay, we all saw the matrix in the late 90s. Okay, I got uh -huh. that one. Like red pill, obviously, like just, you know, go back. I, I, I think red pill is the one that's, you're taking the hard truth. Yes. Blue precisely. pill is go back to sleep and live in this fake world. Precisely. Okay. There's a black pill though too. Yes. What is that? So the black pill is unique to incels. Um, the red pill and blue pill kind of started a little bit before that. And red pilled is a word that you'd find from the more general manosphere, which includes the kind of older men that uh, would be part of MGTOW, men going their own way, yeah. um, and MRAs, the men's rights activists. You'll also find red pill in the um, the alt-right or the sort of the far-right forums. And these are just like, comes from like a provocative wanting to be like against the grain. Um, so a lot of people that would call themselves trad that's another word that comes up, and that one's like a little bit more obvious. It's like traditionalist or anti-progressive. You find that in sort of the the far right groups too, like the not to get you know to mainstream politics here, but like the MAGA types about like kind of returning to a time when they they cross over though. I mean, it's a yes. It's a, those two circles in the Venn diagram are pretty close to each other. Yeah. Yeah, um, and they're they're very. They're, but they don't cross over either in a lot of very important ways. So, you know, I kind of 
want to make that uh, that clear, but they do cross over in in many ways. Yeah. Um, so so red pill was around kind of before that, and red pill though um, it it was. So the, the administrator of the incel forum that I always talk to, which is incels.co, the kind of the main one, uh, put it to me in a very eloquent way that, um, that there's blue pill, red pill, black pill, and white pill, which I'll get to also. But he described um, the blue pill and the red pill as being like prescriptive, like they tell you what to do, whereas um, the black pill is descriptive. So the black pill, which the incels kind of... Um, adhere to, and some people consider it an ideology, but they look at it more as like a series of studies and truths. So someone red-pilled would tell you that this is the way the world really is, but this these are things that you can do to sort of game it, you know? If you act this way, if you uh, look smacks, if you um, act more aggressive, or if you kind of like stu study the, the PUAs, the pickup artists, um, then you can be red-pilled and, and know the truths about women and about dating and about the world, but you can sort of get around it by acting a certain way. Whereas the black pill is a lot more kind of fatalistic because it says there's nothing you can really do to change this. And they take a lot of their studies from, like, evolutionary psychology and things like that that, again, you know, they're not false, but, um, but they're kind of missing the... the the bigger picture, they're a little bit too reductionist. Um, the black pill sort of states that like personality is a meme, that uh, there's no such thing as like having game or skills with women, that it's all, everything is really almost, where you end up on the totem pole is predetermined from your, your genes or your family wealth or something like that. And there's nothing you can do to change it. And I, Actually, again, I have a question that actually goes directly along with that. So like you said, the, the black pill theory is, uh, it's a, to me, it was a very like evolutionary take yes. on the way that people, I guess, choose partners, but also have a partner. Yeah. <laughs> um, but as you said, like from birth, you either do or don't have what it's take, what it takes to find a mate and there's nothing you can do about it. But so you also mentioned like max or maxing beta bucks, um, mm. and things like that. But I mean, in my, from my point of view, that is basically stating that you can change things about yourself in order to find a partner. But I, when I was researching this, I, I felt like it inherently kind of went against the black pill theory in itself, basically saying like, there's nothing you can do and this is it. But I guess m my question is like, is it less of a, I guess, is it more of a superficial thing to people who are in this like community and, um, follow the black pill theory, I guess, is like you can do things to change it, but it's not inherently changing like what you were born with, I guess. Well, everything. So, you know, when people from like the, the terrorism or counterterrorism communities try to look at this, mm -hmm. you know, they're always trying to make it into a cohesive and coherent ideology. And it's not. That's the thing is, is it really isn't. Um, and most of the I would say that most of the incels that I talk to, um, on some level, they don't entirely believe this. Like, they will 
you know, blackpill me. They'll try to blackpill me. There's ones I talk to all the time, not on the show or anything, that are just trying to send me studies to sort of, like, show me that, you know, I should be blackpilled and all that. And, uh, like, they, so they do actually, some of them feel like um, it's, to me, it's it's more like venting and commiserating and kind of spewing and kind of, you know, flaunting these facts and theories in the face of a society that completely denies them. And I think that that's where it comes from. Some of them are just very frustrated with the fact that, like, pickup artist tricks didn't work for them. That's, in fact, where the whole incel community began was um, they were anti-POA, that they had tried this approach. Some of them spent money on it and found that it didn't work. And so, you know, the first incel site was called PUA Hate. That's where Elliot Roger went. Just a note for the audience, if you're unfamiliar with the name, Elliot Roger, he was the perpetrator of the 2014 Isla Vista killings um, at the University of California, Santa Barbara. They're very frustrated with the fact that society completely um, denies and dismisses some of these things that are true, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so they double down. And that's kind of what the black pill, that's what I feel. The gotcha. And that makes sense. I, I also kind of, <laughs> I had my questions written down and this is actually the last question. So this is great. Um, <laughs> so like I, so for me, I was housebound agoraphobic for three years. Um, I didn't leave my house. I joined a discord and in that discord, I found a lot of pessimism mm -hmm. about getting through being agoraphobic, like just being mm -hmm. like, isn't going to get better. And, and that's like mental health, you know, like yeah. obviously depression and anxiety and things like that can lead you to that sort of cycle. Oh, I, so, I can relate. <laughs> right. And so, um, I think that I felt like incels obviously have this community with each other, but I didn't know if it was sort of the same thing of feeding that like pessimism um, sure. to each other and sort of like just being like, this is never going to get better. And then having somebody else with that same idea of being like, yeah, this is never going to get better. And yes. so then there's like ascending um, or I guess finding somebody or mating mm. with somebody or something. And so to me, and I know that with like, like I said, with the agoraphobia chat, like if somebody starts going outside and like, it's kind of like they just leave the group, yeah. you know, they don't really have a, have a space for that in their life if they're filling their life with other things. So like, Ultimately, after you ascend, obviously you can still keep in, in contact with people, but I feel like it kind of would alienate somebody yes. from the incel community. Yeah. Um, and so ultimately, do you think that it would kind of makes it a cycle of like, this is the only community of people who understand me. So, um, yeah. like ascending almost isn't an option right? Uh, because well, it's going to lose these people who... This fraternity, this is the right. link. Right. Yeah, that was one of my first sort of questions that I grappled with, too, and, like, contentions with the policy on the, the forum that normies weren't allowed and mm -hmm. any kind of, um, you know, you could get banned for talking about an experience with a woman or something like that, um, is that, you know, it would make it almost... 
discouraged or, you know, once you say do ascend and now you have to navigate the whole new and very complicated world of sex and dating, um, you no longer have like your mates and your buddies to talk about it with. Um, and so, you know, I kind of took that issue up with the moderators and the admins of the forum and, and raised that question. And, uh, I think they get it, but I think they also, they said, well, yeah, but you know, then anyway, you should be busy. You should get, you know, get on with it. You should, you'll be too busy for us anyway. And whatever, whatever, um, which isn't true. But the other argument that they gave was like, we don't have any spaces where it's only us and we want to be able to speak freely. And, and I right. kind of, I do agree with all that. What I've like come to notice is that, yes, that's an issue. The number one issue of that being that it's an echo chamber and any echo chamber can get dangerous in a way. Right. It's just, right. you know, you're reinforcing it. They talk so much about being like a scientifically minded and stuff and like, hello, confirmation bias. You're talking to <laughs> right. <those> people, <laughs> but, um, but at the same time, um, I think that it is a phase for a lot of them, uh, and they don't seem to have too much trouble kind of moving on because I think once you do get to that point where you're making connections um, outside of this group and, right. and dating and things like that, it's a lot they're actually a lot softer than they kind of come across. And right. even people that have been banned or that have ascended still do keep in touch with some of their, you know, their friends from before. If they don't, it might be because they don't really want to. Um, and then there are the, the rare cases where it's, um, it is the only, you know, because of usually issues not having to do with their looks or anything like that, but more with like neurotypicalness among a lot of other things, mental health issues and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of them on the autism spectrum. In fact, I had them alter one of their polls, which they take, you know, they're very honest with and they have great sample sizes, like 500 responses or something long, lots of questions. So, you know, it kind of eliminates the, the dishonesty and um they asked about autism initially and i asked if they could change the question to be um you know formal diagnosis compared to suspect that i have it and it was something like 15 percent have been formally diagnosed out of like the 500 that responded which is astronomical you know it's right. like one percent for the regular population so for some of these people communicating this way um is the only way that they can do it, at least for some time, you know, online through text rather than voice. And, um, you know, I don't know my opinions. I've obviously become very sympathetic to them, but I I've begun to see these communities as sort of a psychosocial support, actually more than this radicalization hotbed. I just don't believe that it is that. Right. Well, I wanted to jump in there because this right here is is super fascinating. What you what you brought up, that you said that like you said one percent of the population is aware of whether or not you know they they fall on the autism spectrum. But most of these sample sizes that we're seeing within these groups, it's about fifteen percent have, have been able to yeah. identify it. Formally diagnosed, which is even which is really high, and another twenty percent or so suspect that they are. Even that shows the, the vast disparity in where the mental health in this country should be because yeah. it's still a stigma. It's still a thing. It's still like, and 
it's I don't want to say funny. Funny is the wrong word because I don't want it to come across as me making light of their situation. But hearing a lot of the things that you, you, you say about the way that they perceive the world, that's that's kind of the vibe that I'm getting from it is like they're 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 living in these truths, these like this is what it is and this is how it is, and there is no way to change it. And like that's what that sounds like. It sounds like somebody with mental health issues crying for help. And it I mean, if if your goal in all of this Nama was to try to have people feel some sense of compassion, some sense of like pity for, for people in these situations, it, mission accomplished. Because like I hear this and it just makes me feel bad for them. Whereas honestly, most people, they hear incel and it's a, it's a disgust reaction, yeah. almost yeah. immediate, almost immediate reaction of disgust. But also too, you've mentioned the terrorism, counterterrorism. There, there's some really ugly shit that comes from this community. Is that something that you – I'm trying to find the right way to say it. Are you being careful with this? Because this is something that could very easily turn to a very ugly story. It, it's... Yeah. Well, um, first of all, I have a lot of counterterrorism and terrorism experts on my show okay. uh, weighing in a lot. And law enforcement, you know, people from CSIS, people from FBI, forensic psychologists, you know, really, and, and researchers, and runs the, the gamut. And um, and because of that, and because of this has become this kind of issue uh, recently, more and more so, I guess, uh, because of certain policy changes lately, and especially in Canada, um, that's like I've been asked to give trainings to military and corporate security and all kinds of things. So I do appreciate, you know, the gravity of it. I definitely do. Um, but, you know, at the risk of saying something that is risky, um, I find that, first of all, there's what we call like a low base rate bias when it comes to these groups um, for for any group like that's been stigmatized in the past, like including far right, including, you know, Muslims and in, in American Muslim community when when all of those which they are, are still. But like when Al Qaeda and ISIS were, you know, very much very active. Basically um, anything post 9-11. Yeah. Yes, precisely. Um, which has led to, to a lot of this and a lot of these industries, too, um, that. There is such a such a very 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 low percentage of any individual in a group like this that will go on to be violent that it's almost like statistically insignificant. Oh yeah, course, I mean, you want to talk about like we talking about like the normatives of society. Honestly, you'd probably be you're probably safer dealing with this group than you would be if you were like talking to like I don't know college fraternities and things exactly. like that. Like it's exactly. statistically statistically you're safer where you're at, and that's. Yeah. That's what's screwed up about this is yeah. that, again, we're, we're, we're seeing these things, we're seeing these outcasts, and we're shoving them in a corner and saying, you're bad, you're wrong, you're dangerous, and like not realizing that 
the norm is probably just as dangerous, if not more so. If not more so, exactly. And and now you're like a boogeyman and a terrorist and like a bloodthirsty, whatever, you know, dangerous misogynist. And it's just not true. And, and incels will point this out themselves sometimes that, you know, when you look at domestic violence, that's obviously that's um, violence committed against women usually comes from a partner or something that's not an incel by definition yeah. if they have a, a partner um, and incels on a whole and I say this to the you know um, law enforcement and stuff when I talk to them um, they're usually very high inhib as they would call it so they're very um, highly inhibited they're usually kind of afraid of, of women and barely even talk to them, let alone um, harass them or any of these kind of myths that have been going on. Um, they're very unlikely to be violent people, very unlikely to be violent. Um, and it's just that the the really handful of, of incidents that have been linked with them, you know, are the lethality of those has been very high. There have been, you know, mass shootings and things like that. But then as the more I've kind of begun to even look at those um, incidents, the less the whole incel angle really plays a role in it. And there's one really well-known trial that's going on right now of Alec Manassian, who committed the Toronto vehicle ramming um, in 2018. And, you know, he's on trial now. Most of them never make it to trial because they usually, you know, commit suicide at the end of it. Um, but he is on trial. And uh, the more details are coming out, the more sort of that whole angle of him being an incel and that being his motivation is beginning to seem like it was, you know, not really, not really the kind of a smokescreen. Yeah, exactly. Or just like an um, easy, like, let, let's just throw him in this category sort of thing. Like, yes. Or even he himself kind of claiming that because that would get him notoriety. He's someone that I would consider like a copycat killer, you know, um, and that's what a lot of them are. And so I think the way that we in society kind of make these sexy media stories about these killers, that's a way bigger problem than, than any of this stuff. Um, yeah. It leaves people feeling that there's no recourse other than to do something like that. Um, and that's, that's more of the issue than, again, radicalization by incel fora. Yeah. And I just kind of want to take a step back to where we were kind of comparing it to, um, like, uh, terrorism because of, like, religion or political beliefs, whereas, mm -hmm. I, I, as you know, uh, Nama, and that's how you pronounce your name, right? Yes. Nama? Okay. Got it. Uh, awesome. <laughs> um, but that... It's kind of, and I, I feel like you have probably thought about this before, but something that people also need to realize about the incel community is that sex and finding a mate is something that is very much instinctual to not yes. just humans, but animals alike, whereas religion is man-made, and um, while spirituality uh, can be debated to be an instinctual thing, but... Um, these these other things that they're being compared to um, in terms of religion or um, I can't think of something yeah, else right now, but like terrorism, politics, most yeah. of the reason that money is man-made. But this is something that is built into uh, our very beings. And to write that off as just being like dramatic about not being able to find a mate or being um, like – 
being a horrible person because you're you feel bad about yourself right yeah Yeah. a whiner we've attributed so much value to it because like think about it like if you can't if a guy like speaking from a guy's perspective if a guy can't get a girl you know like he's automatically shunned and made fun of and belittled because that's something that you're supposed to be able to do and it's of something of value and if you can't do it you have no value and it's it sucks and like jess and i were talking about this before we got started that like We've all had these moments where it's like, oh, man, I can't find a significant other. Oh, man, I must be the ugliest Mm -hmm. person in the world. But then here we are in our current states where we do have significant others. And it just makes you wonder, maybe it really wasn't that bad to begin with for me. How bad must it be for somebody who, like, is really, like, has some sort of issue where they're not attractive or they have some sort of deformity or something else that's causing them to be not the typical attractive like it's got to be awful right Right. and i and i also like i said or like mike said we talked about this a little bit before um we got you on here but um i'm actually also a sex worker um and on one of my accounts i I did ask, I'm very open with the clients, um, that I do have. And I asked like, do any of you identify as an incel? And someone oh. did. Oh, really? And, yeah, he did. And I kind of got, and I do, I do recognize the, the stigma also with like sex work and incel community. Like I, I, I've done the research enough to know that like there is, um, like a type of disconnect that incels want to have from the sex worker community, obviously. Not, not all of them. That's right, right. I mean, lot. like some people being like, well, why don't you just pay someone to have sex with you? Like, I feel like that's something that a lot of incels hear where they're just like, that's right. not necessarily. Well, they want to feel valued too. They, they want right. to feel, you know, yeah, exactly. There is a difference between sex and intimacy too. So, I mean, yes. they're, right. not, exactly. yeah, they're, they're not mutually uh, exclusive. Yeah. Exactly. And a lot of them also have, you know, they don't have a whole lot of like even platonic relationships. Right. So not just with women, but like with men too, or any, anyone. Right. And so when I did ask, um, and I, I mean, obviously it was like, I know from, from my experiences with being agoraphobic, I know people who would come into our discord and be like, I'm not agoraphobic, but I want to research you. And it's just kind of weird and like uh-huh. dehumanizing. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was like, I, I would like to ask you a couple of questions, but not in a way, like, obviously if you don't want to answer them, that's fine. But, um, he was basically like, he was like, I've had multiple women just straight up say that I was disgusting. And the thought Mm -hmm. of going out with me was horrible. And for me, I'm like, obviously, obviously by being agoraphobic, I deal with mental health issues, but, um, I like having that start to be ingrained at you at such a like developmental age of teacher in high school, I can see how that would completely warp your perception and maybe not even warp like that's your perception of how people view you and when that's constantly being fed to you I mean I don't know a single person who wouldn't react in a way of like I of hate with absolutely and general generalizing an entire group of people mainly being women and saying like these people have shit on me my whole life like Mm -hmm. they're terrible and Mm -hmm. the idea of um, like the black pill theory, I think comes into play there a lot. Just being like, I've heard this my entire life and 
I don't think that there's anything wrong with me, but clearly I I was just born to be this way and not have a mate. I, yeah. I wanted to I wanted to ask you, Nama, do you in in dealing with so many people that are in the community, is it something that they're content being where they're at? And that's that's the solution. Like this, I'm good here. I have my people. I have my community. Or is it? Do they intend to or wish to try to grow out of it? it like that. Yes. That's the thing that I'm trying to understand. Is is it something where they're like, I finally found my people. I found my tribe. Or is it like no. this is just an ends a means to an end? Like I just I want to learn how to get out of it. Most of them, I mean, they almost all have the goal of ascending, as you rightly refer to it. That's their their term for ascending out of inceldom. They pretty much all of them do, all of them. And um, I've also talked to many of them at this point over the past two years that that have ascended, uh, you know, that have found their way to finding someone to sleep with, or hopefully more than just that. Um, so, yeah, they all do, but um, some of them, you know, feel so strongly about it and find that in this community they get an identity, they get a sense of meaning, a sense of purpose, especially the ones that become kind of popular posters or that have responsibilities like moderators or the content creators, there's YouTubers and things like that, um, to where, you know, and then there have been some sort of, I, I guess, uh, flimsy attempts to, like, create a political party and things like that. Um, and so, you know, I think that some of them will, for a time, um, be sort of content, and it's not even really the right word, but um, they accept that that's their identity, and they, you know, they have a place where, like, they found their people and they found some purpose. And uh, I think that usually those actually probably do go on to, because they gain some confidence from it, they go on to have more confidence with the way they navigate the world, and they do end up ascending if they're not just asexual and if they, they do want that. Um, but it's like a temporary, you know, it's temporary for some more than others. Um, it's it's not some somewhere that they want to permanently be. Yeah. Very few I, of them. In the first episode, you have a guest on, and he was in the incel community and then got a girlfriend and got out and, to a certain degree, and, like, the the community turned on him. And I thought that that was interesting that they were like, oh, he got himself a—I uh, can't remember the term they used for it, but basically cute like white a cute, cute white chick, yeah. And, like, you would think that they would have, like, celebrated that. They'd been like, good for him. He ascended. But no, they were just like, ah, oh, he was— piece of shit anyways it, it was just it was kind of funny how the toxicity still kind of exists even in a situation like that where like you could be happy for somebody for accomplishing the thing that you wanted but still like i mean i get it like you're bitter too because you want it to happen to you but like specifically well, i'm sorry go ahead um just i i know who you're talking about that that was a yeah. uh, neo and he he told me anyway that um he never really was in the community i don't entirely believe that but um whether it's true or not i think part of it is that he um he didn't i think he did try to be um to sort of encourage them he tried to be understanding or to remain understanding and to sort of uh encourage them um that they're that they were wrong and that the black pill is wrong and to sort of um, c 
convince them why. And I think that that's more where the toxicity came from. It's more that they felt that now he's um, grandstanding and boasting and telling them that everything is wrong. And I think that yeah. they hear that so much that that's the one thing that when I have personal one-on-one -on -one conversations with them, you know, over the course of a long time, I will um, start to give them blue pills <laughs> um, and to tell them that I think that they're, that this isn't true for this reason or that, but I refrain from doing that for at least a very long time because they hear that all the time. And, you know, you don't begin, certainly if you're speaking to someone that has a very extreme or radical belief that you disagree with, um, you want to uh, hold off on telling them why they're wrong for, for a very long time until you establish some rapport, because it'll just cause them to shut down. And that's what I get a lot of flack for that on the show from listeners, that I don't push back. And it's like, I understand, but this is a process, you know, yeah. away. It's not and it's work. a horrible way to do to be an interviewer. It's a horrible way to be a journalist because you want to get information from your guest, from your your interviewee, and you're not going to get anything if you put them on the defensive. If they're yeah. if they feel like they're being attacked, they're not going to want to say anything to you. Yeah, exactly. And and people just have this belief now that because I guess this is what they see in media, that, no, you should shout everyone down and put them in a gotcha moment, and otherwise yeah. you're being irresponsible. And I think it's just the opposite, really. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, I wanted to bring up a quote, and I, I, I listened to this part of your your podcast like five or six times in a row because I wanted to get the words exactly right. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> like transcribing, trying to write it down, but you said something, and it really hit me hard. And because it... it I feel like that there may be more to where you're coming from with this than, or either that, or you're just, you know, very gifted with the words you use. But it was towards the end of episode one, you said, maybe in some sense, I recognize this dynamic, caring about someone who was overcome with hopelessness, of wanting to lift them out of it, but failing to do so, and failing, failing in the most profound way. That that sounds personal. That sounds yeah. like you've had something like this happen. Is this part of? the motivation behind this because you've seen this sort of thing happen to somebody and you, is that where this came from from you is this something that you had an experience like this where you just felt hopeless and trying to save somebody from something like this oh I, i've had more than more than a couple of experiences like that and you know i haven't talked about this on the show but uh, my my mother was a suicide she committed suicide when i was uh, 18 years old um and i already hear that yeah, well, you know that that's life. It's been it's been a long time now. Um, so you know that that's an example of it. Um, my my brother is not uh, an incel, but fits the profile in many ways and has a lot of mental health issues, and they've been very difficult to um, to see sort of get worse and then maybe get better and then go into remission and then you know sort of flurry up again. Um, and a, a lot of things that, you know, I felt were things that he could change or something, if only given the right dose of words or medication yeah. or whatever. Um, and that isn't always possible, you know. Um, I think, you know, many of us probably know someone that um, has gone down that, that path of, you know, whether it's addiction, that's definitely one I've, you know, dealt with more than, more than a few, um, yeah. examples like that, um, or depression or whatever it is. I just wanted to 
state that I totally understand that because um, when my mom passed away, my mom was an alcoholic um, big time mm. and I saw it literally kill her. And then after that, my brother didn't cope well with it and he's turned to alcoholism as well. And we haven't spoken in four years because we had a giant fight and mm. I understand where, you, how you feel because I've had that happen as well. So I just wanted to put that olive branch out there to say that I understand exactly how that feels. And that was really the reason I brought that phrase up because it, it hit me in a profound way too, because it was, this is my little brother. Like I, I felt like I failed him. I yeah. felt like I failed in some way because he doesn't want me to be part of his life. And like, man, what, I'm try, what is, what is the, uh, makes me sound like an old man. What do the kids say? Um, I feel seen. Like, <laughs> like I felt called out with that, with that phrase. I was like, damn, man. Like, and I just wanted to applaud you for that because like so often podcasts are very like, Hey, we're going to talk about this thing and that's it. But like, there's an artfulness to what you're doing. And that's what makes me keep tuning into this is that it's not just point A to point B. There's more to it. Like there, there's, I call it the, I call it an NPR style podcast where you're doing these interviews, but then you're also commenting on the interview that you're doing while the interview is going on. And it's just, I'm, I'm, I'm very impressed so far with what you've done. Thank you. In, in my better episodes, I, I do that. Uh, that became kind of difficult to, to keep up weekly, you know, it's a lot um, of work. It's so much work. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, uh, like maybe, 13 or so episodes in it's I start doing that a bit less for a while but I've sort of picked back up again it, it ebbs and flows <laughs> I try try my best <laughs> obviously we've talked about like being on spectrum or having mental illness or basically not being neurotypical um has a lot to play in this and do you think obviously I I know that um cope, uh, kind of has a different, uh, meaning in the incel community. It's kind of like, uh, taking on a false, uh, belief to avoid, uh, a harsh truth, um, as opposed to actual, just like coping with something. But, um, it, it feels like to me that it's almost like these, the way that incels cope with, their issues are almost like televised to people. And even though it is on public forums online, it's like, I feel like it's almost like somebody's journal being broadcasted and people taking their own, their own takes out of it and putting their own narrative on somebody else's way of coping with their mental illness or with, um, maybe like a mental disability or even a physical disability where like, I, I know that dealing with agoraphobia, I felt a lot of disdain for various people for my own insecurities, but that wasn't, like I said, like televised to the entire world with somebody else's narrative tacked to it. So do you feel like that's kind of what's happening is like the communities online are a way for these people to deal with this stuff, but people are just taking that, which like coping can be an ugly thing. You're, you're kind of, um, putting your own insecurities into, uh, negative feelings about other people. But like I said, I think people are taking the way that people, those incels are coping with those things and putting their own narrative to it and making them look like horrible people. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's that's dead on. The incel fora, their subreddits, you know, most of which have been shut down now. Um, but whatever, wherever their sort of meeting places, their online meet spaces are, are not. It's an inner club. They're not intended for other people to read. People can read them, and people do, and and then they take what they read there and. They, you know, I just got into some Twitter thing with someone the other day about this, um, where, you know, it was a, a woman who was saying, you know, well, I don't like it when people judge, judge me and judge the way I live and, and you know, uh, say things that are offensive to me. And I'm like, well, are they saying them to you or... Right. Know? And she's like, well, that's even worse if they'd be fake. And it's like, well, no, 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 we don't need to, to go there. And I just think that that's a... It's not really um, – I, I think there's, like, a, a kind of a, a fad lately with takedown culture and with the idea of holding everyone accountable to every thought they've ever had. Right. I think is not really helpful, and it's not really right. And there are these groups on, on Reddit and other places that call themselves kind of watchdog groups um, – as if they're, you know, on this noble crusade to inform the world about incels and these evil sort of misogynists. And they, they go on their sites and they, they take screenshots of what they say and they kind of put them out into their little communities or on Twitter or wherever and say, look at these horrible incels, look at this shot from the site and look at this thing they said and this thing they said. And they don't know the culture. A lot of the stuff they say is very ironic they don't actually mean it. They're just being, right. you know, shit posting or trying to be edgy or this is their way of blowing off steam. And, you know, people need to blow off steam. And if it's maybe they're saying heinous things, but um, that doesn't mean that they would ever, ever treat a woman that way or call a woman a foid or whatever. Right. You know? um, which is evidence just by my podcast and then all the interactions that have come as a result of it between incels and normies and women often. Hang on, um, that's another one I gotta write down. Foid? What is that? Foid, feminoid. <laughs> like a you know yeah. a, Fem a, a thing that yeah, fembot or like a creature that looks like a woman but isn't really one. Um but, you know, it's not because they're being fake that they don't say this. I mean, maybe in, in some cases it is a little bit, but for the most part, it's just because this is the way they, they talk to each other. They find it funny. This is their little culture. And a lot of it comes from 4chan and from the Internet and all this other stuff. Um, and it's not it's not like they're they would want to offend people with this and, and people just taking these cherry picking these awful things and kind of ignoring the rest of the chat that might be just more kind of philosophical or whatever people sort of sharing in their experiences um, right. and taking this heinous stuff and humiliating them with it. I don't think that there's anything they're accomplishing anything. I do. Right. And I think that people also need to realize that like, misogyny exists outside of incels i think i mean in fact it's worse right like there i i i am i i do identify as a feminist i i also recognize that like misogyny exists in a, a lot of the um like foundation of things that 
we as a society believe. But I think that some people like you, like similar to the watchdog thing, I think people feel this superiority over incels and kind of, I mean, totally like they, they, they look at them as this thing to be pitied and mocked because it makes them feel better about themselves. It's this, it's, it's the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Oh, I just lost it. Um, it's the other, what about the other guy? Um, it's the, it's more divisive. I can't think of a damn term. That's going to drive me nuts. Um, I yeah. just think it's easier to scapegoatism. There it is. Yes, there it is. I think yeah, scape. That's basically what I was just about to say. It's a, it's an easier way to pin like societal issues on a group of people that you deem less than you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that happens a lot because even when Mike and I brought up doing this podcast and I, I told Mike, I was like, you are going to get backlash for this year. When I told people that I was like genuinely interested in the incel community and just like trying to understand it more. Um, I had people be like, why, why would you do that? Like those people are horrible and like, they shouldn't be humanized. And I'm like, well, one, they're humans. So, um, (laughs) they should be humanized, but two, like, it's, I don't know. It just all come, like I said, it, it's like something clicked while we were all just talking about the whole, like having your, your coping mechanisms kind of sent out to the world in a negative way. Like I, I don't know anybody who hasn't coped with something by saying something negative about somebody else. You have a bad day at work and people say that they want to kill their boss. Like, exactly. <laughs> and yeah. so that's like taking, like I said, it's like taking somebody's journal or diary or even venting to a friend. And then, cause if you vent to a friend and then that friend goes to somebody else and is like, Oh my God, this person believes all of this stuff. Then you're going to be like, what the hell? Like I, right. like, I was you literally just venting if, to you. Can you imagine Jess, if people took the conversations that you and I have had and been like, did you hear what Mike and Jess said? Like, yeah. <laughs> I would be like, you're, you're a psycho. Yeah, <laughs> Why exactly. would you do that? <laughs> Why would you take what I said in a moment of like vulnerability and like, (laughs) and that's what they, and I mean, like, like you've said a couple of times, a lot of these people don't have, uh, and by these people, I'm sorry, I do mean like a lot of incels don't have personal relationships. So, and somebody who's agoraphobic, I can also, um, sort of empathize with that by my relationships with other people have a lot of the time they were online, like my friendships, mm-hmm. I mean, and, um, platonic relationships. So the only way that you have to talk to these people is in a public space. Typically. I mean, right. the discord chat for agoraphobia is a public space that anybody can access. And so it's just interesting to me. Like I said, I think it was just something that clicked to me of being like, these are like conversations that like, exactly like you said, that aren't meant to be public. They're not meant for other people, but it's like people want to just like take from that and be like, Oh, well look at these people who I guess some people just get gratification from feeling like there are others who are less than them. And even Mike and I got backlash from, people on GGR. I mean, I'm going to be honest, Mike, there were people in the great geek refuge who were like, why would you want to do this? And I think for me, it's like, I, 
I do want to humanize these people. Um, <laughs> I want to understand. Yeah. That's that's the big thing for me, and I, and that's that's why I connected and was so excited about speaking to you, Nama. Was that like, that's what you wanted. You wanted to understand it. You didn't want to have it as a as a means to be like you know, to, to meme it or to like, be like, Hey guys, look at these nerds. Like you used it as a means to try to build a bridge. And like, like I said at the very beginning that that's what we need to do to, to make this world a better place is we have to be building bridges, not destroying them and finding yeah. more, more dissimilarities instead of more things where we might be able to come together and find something where we can help everyone. Yeah. And you know, uh, I have had um, like friends, IRL friends that have practically stopped talking to me because Jesus. of this show. Um, you know, at this point, most of them, you know, most of those relationships have sort of like come back now. But initially, the reaction was so strong. I've had friends of mine tell me that, you know, they told so this person or that person about it. And the reaction they got was just, you know, no, I don't want to hear anything about it. The listeners tell me, oh, I tried to get my husband to listen to this. He, he just didn't want anything to do with it. The reaction's really strong, and I feel like part of that is because um, because it, it can hit close to home, which is the reason I thought that people would be more open to it. And obviously, a lot of people have been open to it. I get you know great messages from people like you and, and listeners that you know have been empathetic, but. Um, You'd think everyone could relate to feeling lonely and unwanted and not good enough and unattractive and, you know, like a outcast at some point in their life. Um, and I think maybe because of that, it, it hits home to some people in a way where they just want to be distanced from it. And it also, um, the fact that people kind of pick on this group um, or use it to point out like the ills of society, like misogyny and, and whatever else they, they say um, when is misogyny or, you know, the appearance of misogyny or misogynistic rhetoric as much of a problem when it's being done among a group of like very, very young men, kids even who never talk to women uh, is that more of a problem than, you know, the, the veiled misogyny of, of powerful people, you know, like, is it really, I, I don't think so. <laughs> um, but you know, it's one of the incels put it to me this way that, that people don't want to look at it because it's the same people that they always picked on when they were kids, you know, we're the ones that were bullied and stuff. And maybe looking at this would require people to look at their own behavior and whether they have been maybe, you know, cruel as most kids can be, teenagers to sort of the, the misfits and the loners. It requires a certain level of self-inventory that a lot of people aren't willing to take. Mm -hmm. Is this like a, I want to do 75 episodes and that's it? Is this just, I'm going to keep going until I, I'm, I've had my fill? Is this like, just, you're going to see how long you can run with this? Is there another project in mind? I'm just curious, like, kind of like where you're creative processes with this or like is there like a message that you're trying to get across ultimately um well those are good questions uh and <laughs> of them, um i don't know entirely how how to answer I, I think kind of as as a journalist but as as an artist versus a, as a storyteller and you know sort of the craft of putting them together and making them interesting and, and all of that and putting the music in the right places um is like 
more where my my background comes from but it did kind of become like a cause you know um and being sort of linked into this world of of peace builders the peace building community and counterterrorism and all this stuff has really brought me into like another sort of career and world that I wasn't anticipating um and so the focus has become you know a little bit it's kind of split sometimes just between telling the stories of these people and also um you know it's led to some uh research being done by very serious people that want me to sort of you know give my two cents or um help them out with it um in order to kind of understand the community better and possibly also um find ways to to help them like some kind of programming that might um make these people find meaning and stuff in a, in a way that's maybe a little bit less overtly misogynistic and you know just to lead to understanding of this group um and because this is what's considered an extremist group fringe group um what we learn from them can be applied to other such groups including the white supremacists and and that whole lot so you know it's kind of branching off into that too i have another podcast that's more um about some of that stuff um that's only had a few episodes so far called escape hate but uh so that's kind of where where that's going i don't know when i'm going to stop up with this podcast um my sort of artistic um part is kind of uh, itching for maybe a another podcasting venture that's similar but uh a different you know different focus i i don't really know so you're not doing the typical three seasons in a movie thing you're not trying to like do this like a sitcom or anything like that <laughs> no i i think the movie is the is probably not something i'll i'll we've we've gotten pretty heavy here at points with this too but one of the things that i wanted to do is also like a lot of times people at least the the way i i listen to things i always like listen to people's podcasts or watch their youtube channels and i want to know like more about the person like because there's the persona that we all portray in our various forms of media that we have but also like and i'm not talking about like oh i want to know their deepest darkest secrets i want to know shit like what's your favorite sandwich like like what's your go-to like like if you could have any sandwich right now you'd be like this is my absolute favorite go-to sandwich what's your favorite mm, jersey mike's um roast beef uh hero with the lettuce and tomato oil and vinegar and salt and pepper and uh provolone cheese damn that sounds pretty good that's <laughs> that not does bad sound good <laughs> <laughs> um i noticed also too that you are you are a musician um mm -hmm. is do you have a favorite all-time musician one that just like really speaks to you no matter what projects they have you're just like i will listen to this repeatedly like is there is there a favorite or is it just like tons of them there's a lot of them, um, but I would say like uh, Radiohead has had an almost um, impeccable uh, discography. Um, Do you have a favorite Radiohead album? In Rainbows. Nice. Yeah. But there's a lot from every yeah. genre, too. Yeah. No, for sure. Is there, when you were a kid... Because, I mean, you started acting at a young age, too, from what I was seeing on your IMDb. Um, was that like you saw this and you were like, oh, I would definitely i have always wanted to be a, an actress? Or was it just something you kind of fell into? 
Um, I, I sort of started when I was a kid. Not really. It's deceptive on the IMDb because it looks like I was like seven years old or something in the first project. But I actually just went with a friend of mine who was going to be an extra in this movie. And I just went with her because it seemed fun. And they upgraded me to like a, you know, it was called like a daily or something. So that was kind oh, wow. of like just a chance one off. Um, and it didn't, I didn't really have any lines or anything like that. It was just oh, okay. like a thing. I mean, I think I, I said like one word that, you know, I think was cut. Um, uh, <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, I always kind of loved it. I loved performance and the arts and, um, writing music and acting were always things that I, I wanted to do. I did ballet when I was a kid for a very long time. Um, and, uh, you know, to the point of possibly going on to do it like professionally, but it was like too much work at one point. Um, and so acting kind of took off, I guess, before the others did. Um, and I, I actually, I love the acting part of acting, but I hate everything else about it. Um, you know, it's a lot of yeah. sitting around in a makeup chair and a lot of just like here, move your hand this way again. And auditioning and all of that and and the, the the fame and the sort of exposure and all that i i don't care for at all um yeah i got that vibe from the way you were describing your 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 dislike for for the la scene in general yes yes yeah. <laughs> and la too <laughs> yeah. is is this is this like the the podcasting thing the the journalism thing is this the is this like i found my home for you is this is this where you want to be is this what you want to keep doing i really love it um i i love music too i don't love the music industry as, as much but i love uh playing music and writing music but i think that podcasting is really great because i i did like filmmaking and stuff too i i'm um produced or co-produced and co-directed a couple of movies and you know i didn't know of podcasting at that point. Um, but telling a story through audio, I just think it's perfection. I love to listen to podcasts. I listen to tons and tons of them. Um, it's so much less work. You don't need to hire like an entire army or like town right. to put it together. And I found that I'm really not that visually oriented. Like I don't have as great of an eye as people probably should in film. Um, <laughs> and sort of the constraints of being able to tell the story in podcasting. Like there's some episodes where like, you know, I have various music cues or just like the little Skype uh, dial sound or, you know, um, some footsteps or something, or like one of my incels who smokes cigarettes, you know, you hear him with his lighter and just all these little things, the way you can sort of tell the story um, and different microphones and stuff in that medium, I think is just amazing. And I think it, your imagination kind of runs wild. I think for me anyway, I become even more sort of connected to it. So I yeah, love it. Theater, theater of the mind. You have to paint yes. a picture yourself. Like if you had kind of a, a parting message to, to anybody who sees this incel podcasting and be like, Oh God, why would I want to listen to that? What would be your, like, this is your elevator pitch. Like, how are you selling this to people? Like, why should they listen to this? Well, um, please just, just try. Uh, I think that you'll find that you can relate to a lot of them. Um, a lot of them are very intelligent, very sort of empathetic, inquisitive people. 
Um, if you come to it with your mind already made up, then you're probably not going to listen past, you know, a few minutes of the first episode. Um, but, you know, if you um, consider yourself a person fighting on the on the side of side of right and the right side of history and everything, um, and you know you are concerned about problems in our society of misogyny and othering people and sort of um, lack of compassion, then practice what you preach and give it a shot. Yeah, 100%. Guys, her name is Nama Cates. You can find her on Twitter. It's pretty easy to find her. Um, you just search Nama Cates. But it's uh, called Incel is her podcast. She's also got another podcast that she's working on as well. As she mentioned on this episode, that podcast is called Escape Hate. Great message. I mean, I really appreciate that there are people out here. I'm sorry, the Incel Project is the name of the podcast. Um, that there are people out here who are trying to see where we can come together instead of finding more reasons why we can be apart. And that's that's admirable. That's always going to be something that I respect. Yeah. So that's that's awesome. I, I, I appreciate you for doing that. Well, and I appreciate you for doing this. So that was our interview with uh, with Nama Cates of the Incel Project. Um, as the resident um, Nama Kate's incel project stand here, Jess. How, how did you feel that went? <laughs> I I think it went great. I think that when I originally uh, started researching incels and learning more about the community, I really was trying to piece together like why someone. I guess for me, I was like, I want to see the good in these people. Like, I want to see that they have a good side and humanize these people. But after talking with Nama, it's, it's something clicked for me that like these sort of things that are being publicly stated about these people are really just people's coping mechanisms being thrown into the public. And that's such a big thing for me because like I had said in the interview with her, it's coping can be ugly coping can be problematic um and it can be misogynistic or uh, like i don't know it can be like i said it can be problematic and it can be ugly and mean and i think that if ways that i coped were taken out of context and talked about and purposefully weaponized against me that i would probably start hating people who who were following that rhetoric about me again these are the things that i want to explore and like it really makes you wonder how do we fix this how do we build this bridge because at the at its at its core if you look if you look at the the beginnings of the incel community it was created by a queer woman yeah. And that's what was amazing to me was that she created this for a completely different reason. And like I'm pulling up the article right now. Uh, in the late 90s, a lonely teenager on the West Coast fired up his dial-up modem to find someone to talk to. He was a shy kid, too introverted to feel fully comfortable in the real world. And he logged onto the early Internet's bare-bones web forums for a sense of connection. There he found friends, other people who were awkward in real life, particularly when it came to sex and dating. The group eventually became a community, one that began using a phrase to describe their romantic troubles, involuntary celibacy. 
Later, the term got shortened, incel. The teenager, now a man who uses the handle formed incel to keep his internet history out of his offline life, recalls the online incel world of the 90s and 2000s fondly. It was a welcoming place, one where men who didn't know how to talk to women could ask community female members for advice and vice versa. It was, he told me, kind of a social justice warrior community. That's how it got started. And somehow along the line, it got perverted. Yeah. And I don't think I don't think that it's inherently bad. I think that it's just like anything else. It's to use our own community, the geeky nerdy community. There's a lot of fucking hate in that community. There's a lot of gatekeepers. There's a lot of misogyny. Like that's not I, I don't think that it's it's exclusive to incels. I think it's it's everywhere. And that's the lesson that we're learning in this is that no group is without reproach. No group is perfect, and it, it comes on all of us to do what Nam, Nama did, is look into these things and, exp- and find out the why and try to find the good in it instead right. of just the awful. Right. I also think that something that is worth learning and taking from this is, like, you have— by you, I mean people in general, have had personal horrible interactions with Trump supporters, for Mm -hmm. example. You see Trump supporters and um, white supremacists and hate groups. But, like, when was the last time you personally, with your own eyes, have come in contact with an incel and had a horrible experience of them being a terrible person. I feel like 99% of the people who have quote unquote experiences only experience it from the media, which again, and I'm not trying to be like, Oh, the media is like (laughs) a liar. But also as we've, as we, and I have learned through this interview today, it's taking somebody's personal dialogue and personal conversations and broadcasting that it's not your personal experience with an incel community, you know? So the, the world wasn't meant to be a performance and it's become one because of the internet. Right. And I think that a lot of people equate, which I think that you had brought up in the interview too, equate like incels with like a, a hate group basically. But like there, the only time I've ever heard of them being a hate group again is not because of something they actually did as a group. It could have been like, like, uh, Nami Nama said, um, like one or two incidents where it happened to be an incel or maybe identify with the community. Like she said, a lot of the times when you tear away that, incel scapegoat that the media puts on it it's it really has nothing to do with them being an incel and i the one in toronto turns out he wasn't even one like from from all intents and purposes it was more of a smokescreen like it's right and so like like i said i think saying overall incels are a hate group is just false (laughs) again i mean I've I've literally never once heard of somebody being like, oh, well, there's a group of incels here stouting out, like, misogynistic things at women on the street when that's exactly what Trump supporters do. Yeah. 
it's it's actually like and it's I, I want to at least be be clear in this. I don't think that like incels are, you know, on the flip side, I'm not going to go out and say like, oh, this is a great group and they do lots of good things in the world. Like, right. It's, it's there's a lot of troubling behavior within it. And that's Absolutely. something that Nama yeah. has identified and she really points to. And like she she doesn't shy from that. So that that's the other thing that's that would that I've been impressed with is she doesn't try to paint a narrative. The facts straight as they are laying this is what happened this is what this is this is what's being said not like oh well i'm only going to say the good things like and like i, I found the part that i was looking for where they talk in this vox article and you can go to vox.com if you just search incel um how the incel community became toxic the founding irony of the incel community is that it was created by a woman and a politically progressive queer one at that her real name is alana she has to keep her last name private and she's an artist and consultant based in toronto for much of her young adult life she found dating terrifying the rules were confusing and she wasn't even sure what to think of her own sexuality when she was in college in the early 90s she began identifying as bisexual she got into her first real relationship with a woman at 24. The experience of finally entering the dating pool made Alana want to help others with her difficulties. So she launched a website called Alana's Involuntary Celibacy Project, one of the earliest online havens for people who wanted to have romantic relationships but couldn't. She spent a few years monitoring her creation but came to realize that she couldn't be an authority for these people and wasn't fixing their problems. Feeling both futile and a bit like she'd grown out of the incel world, she ceased her involvement in the form around 2000. So she created the thing and then it branched off and it talks right. about like what Nama was saying that there's there was more of an angry side to it. And like it, we're talking um, there were two different online forums. One was called incel support and the other one was called love shy Incel support adhered to something like Alana's inclusive vision. It was open to men and women and moderators banned misogynistic posts. Love shy, by contrast, had a highly stringent moderation policy. Its male users were. Uh, or I'm sorry, a less stringent moderation policy. Its male users were free to vent about women, blaming them for the incels' lack of sex. The forum titled uh, Tilted Overwhelmingly Male, one of its administrators openly praised mass killers and encouraged another forum member to commit murder. That's, it, it's split basically is what happened. Yeah. And it, that, that early 2000s w was a rough time for a lot of people. And because of 9-11, because of like it, the internet just growing leaps and bounds. She, Nama talks about it in one of her episodes of Web 2.0 um, coming out and changing the way everything worked. It, it's, I really think, and it sounds like a scapegoat in a way, but I honestly, I believe it's 100% true. I think the way that we handle mental health in this country is the reason why things like this happen. Mm-hmm. It's because- I completely agree. Nobody wants to talk to them. Nobody wants to talk to the person who is so quote unquote ugly that they can't get a date to explain to them like there's so much more like, yes, sex, like the meme, you know, sex is good, but have you had pizza? You know, like, yeah, I think it's also interesting because this is something that I had thought about before, but her bringing up that a lot of in the incel community is either diagnosed on spectrum or believe that they would be on spectrum and how few resources we have for people who are on the autism spectrum yeah. and like identifying, um, ways that being on spectrum can affect your personal relationships, but not in a way that's like, Oh, well, if you're on spectrum, then obviously you're not going to have a relationship, like not like that, but just like, 
recognizing the battles that people may face, um, who are on spectrum and really shedding light on that in not a demeaning way, um, which I think people have a hard time doing. <laughs> oh no, for sure. And it's, it, it's very easy for people to just, again, like whether it's incels or whether it's Trump supporters or whether it's, you know, honestly, I'm going to take Trump supporters out of, out of this, um, association. And the reason why is because I feel like that is a vastly different thing mm -hmm. just because like people tell you, Hey, look, if this is what you believe, these are all the things that you're associating it with and you still choose to do that. Whereas Nama was saying a lot of times when you discuss with incels, they explain, Hey, listen, I understand that, but you know, X, Y, and Z right. with Trump supporters. You're not seeing that a lot of times it's just like, well, this is what I believe and you're stupid because you're wrong and you're, you know, you're an idiot and you're just, I think clouded the, by the media, you know, like, I think the main difference is Trump supporters. It, a lot of it is their belief system. Whereas incels it's lived experiences that, yeah. that are causing, uh, possibly their beliefs or thought systems. Yeah. So I think it roots from a different place. I think that's fair. That's, that's very, that's very fair because yeah, a lot of, a lot of the things that you hear from Trump supporters are things that they've never even experienced. Like, Oh, black lives matter is burning down cities. Really? Where, where have you seen that? Oh, well, right. I, uh, I heard it on the news. Yeah, of course you heard it. Like it's biased information. Whereas like you said, lived experience is vastly different and, and honestly a lot more powerful too. Right. Which could also, I mean, I think lived experience is obviously, um, all our, uh, beliefs. Um, but that's, I mean, that's why they are the way they are is because their lived experiences has been shit <laughs> to <Yeah>. be honest. <laughs> And it's, and that was really, yes, it's a hypoglycemic, very like positive outlook on the right. world of, right. of we can all be friends if we just understand each other. But in, a, in, a, in the world that we're in now, maybe that's important. You know, maybe we should be yeah. trying to have these conversations. We should be trying to understand each other instead of trying to find, instead of trying to find more reasons why we're dissimilar, try to find more reasons where we are similar and try to find a common ground, something that we can all communicate with because right. we don't want this world to be fractioned. And if it is, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be miserable. And we're just all going to continue to be miserable if we can't find something to move forward with together. Right. And I think that you and I both realize that um, sometimes it's not worth finding that. No, that's and that's that's 100 percent is part of this exploration. Part of this is realizing that there's limitations to this. Right. There are going to be some things that you want to explore and then there's going to be some things that you don't. Right. Some things that you can't that you just have to draw the line because that's ultimately what this is about is learning about yourself, learning about the world, learning about where to draw the line, where, where is too much, where is not enough, and what's worth fighting for and what's not. If you've gotten this far into this episode, thank you for tuning in as long as you have. I know this is a sensitive subject. I know this is a difficult subject for many to listen to, um, even further, even to talk about. It is a an area of the internet that is very difficult to traverse and hats off to Nama Kates for doing it. it. It's not an easy topic to approach because there's so often so much 
hate and anger in this community. But when it comes to things like mental health, this is something that's very important. And I think that that speaks volumes to why this group is so toxic in its nature. There's, and, and of course, as, as Nama pointed out, there's a lot of thoughtful, intelligent, kind people in these groups. It's not just all the bad stuff that you hear. There is the bad stuff, and we can't ignore that. That's part of this. It's part of the DNA of this conversation about insultum. But ultimately, too, I feel like the, the overarching topic of this is about mental health, that there's 15% are either diagnosed or uh, self-diagnosed as being on the autism spectrum. And that can be a very troubling thing to have to deal with because along with that often comes an inability to understand social norms and how social interaction works. And I think that that's causing a, a much larger issue. But that points to that mental health in this country, in the United States, is very, very lacking when it comes to how we help our fellow human beings, our, our fellow Americans in this country. So on that note, I just want everybody to try to remember, to try to be as compassionate as possible, try to understand. You don't have to accept, you don't have to welcome, but just at least try to understand that anybody who's lonely, anybody who is wishing they had companionship in any way, shape, or form, whether it be friendship, whether it be intimacy, when they're not being fulfilled in that matter, sometimes we do some crazy shit and that comes through when it comes to these sorts of things. And especially for those who are mentally ill and don't understand, it can be that much more difficult. So thank you all very much for listening. Try to be as compassionate as possible. Try to be kind whenever you possibly can. And as always here, when it comes to a GGR podcast, we leave you with this. Don't be a juice bag. <laughs>